Good morning, River family. First and foremost, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I hope you got breakfast in bed or a lovely phone call or a big hug and that you are blessed this morning because we love our moms. I'm Kathleen Lindy Daniel. I've been coming to the river for about nine years now and I'm home during this pandemic teaching online. My husband is home. I've got five kids, like I said, and we added a puppy because that's what you do during a pandemic. So I hope that your life is crazy but fun and you moms are honored this morning. Um, first and foremost, we want to thank you for donating this week to the LA Mission to remembering those who are struggling during this time. And if you miss each other and you want to chat, we can do that virtually. There's a live chat going on and please say hello to one another and check in. And lastly, I, I just want to pray. I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, bless those moms today as they're working so hard during this time and we ask that you would help them feel loved and accepted and appreciated this morning. We ask you to be with Matt during the sermon. We ask you to be with those who are suffering around the world, whether it's because they've lost someone or they have sickness or they're financially having trouble, Lord, be with us and be with them and take care of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, River Church. It is so good to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for joining us. And happy, happy Mother's Day, if it hasn't already been said a thousand times to you today, but happy Mother's Day from us to you. Thank you for all that you do. We physically and literally could not be here without you. So we're so thankful for all the little and big things you do, the things that go unseen. We're so grateful for you. Um, and yeah, we're just happy to be here to be celebrating. Um, let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for every mom. Um, that is watching right now, God, and that is going to be joining us on this service. Lord, I pray a special blessing over those moms, Lord, that you would give them a grace, God, that you would give them refreshment, um, Lord, that you would give them strength today, God, wherever they're at. And Lord, I also just pray that over our congregation, over every single person joining us today online, God that you would refresh them, that you would strengthen them, that God, that you would make yourself known to them. God, you are so close. We love you and we praise you, God. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.
we're three of the five Plummer sisters. I'm Kit. I'm Lucy. And I'm Charlotte. Kathy Plummer is our mom. Our mom is awesome. She's everything you could ever want in a mom. She's caring and nurturing, um, but she has this adventurous streak to her where she's always down to do something new, go on a hike, go skiing somewhere crazy, anything, you name it, and she will be with you. Mom, I love that you know how to love each of us individually, and it just makes us all feel really um, taken care of, and it's made us the people we are today, so thank you. I think having our mom being a Christian and helping us to really <laughs> develop in our faith has really been such a great gift and I really think that it's helped us become the people who we are today and it's really changed the, the dynamic of our family and how much we love each other. Her just perseverance in her faith has been such a good example for us just to see someone go through things and stick by God the entire time, I, it's, it is the greatest gift. She has a, she's a kid at heart. Yes. She loves life, so. She is one of the girls. She hangs out with all of our friends. She's like the coolest teenager you've ever met, but in a mall. Wrap your head around that. That was a nice, <laughs> that's a nice line. She's gonna love that one. <laughs> Hi mom. Hi mom. Hi mom. Thankful for you because you just drove home with me from Texas. <laughs> but I love you so much. And I couldn't be more thankful for a mom like you. Hi mom. I am here in Brooklyn and wishing that I was with you and in the kitchen cooking something beautiful like I'm sure you are today, or maybe you're not because you're coming home from Texas, but anyway, um, I miss you, and I love you, and I'm so thankful for you. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom! Hey, Matt's up next. Matt Engel. He's our high school pastor here at the River Church, and who better to talk about resurrection relationships than Matt? If you know anything about Matt Engel, you know that he thrives in relationships. And so Matt this morning is going to talk about the Apostle Paul and how the Apostle Paul was impacted by the resurrection. Paul said, as you know in Philippians 3, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and that power influenced his relationships. Let's listen in. Good morning, River Church. It is good to be with you. Happy Sunday. Uh, we are living in the resurrection, uh, and as we continue our series of resurrection living, uh, what it's like to live in the power and the life of Jesus. Uh, this morning, we're going to be look at something very close to my heart, and that is friendship, and the way in which friendship gets reordered um, through the life of Jesus, particularly the way that Jesus' resurrection changes and reorders our friendships. Uh, friendships is something that's been on my mind uh, in our high school ministry rush and our Wednesday night gatherings on Zoom. We've been studying the book of Philippians 
And I think it's an appropriate book to look at in regard to friendship because of Paul's close relationship with the church in Philippi. And for me, as I work with high school students, particularly in this time of so much change, uh, when I ask students, hey, how are you doing? Um, what is, what's going on in your life right now? Uh, over and over again, the thing that they communicate to me is how much they miss their friends. They miss just being with them, uh, being on campus, uh, sitting in class together, having lunch together, getting to do fun things. And that is such a great loss. I mean, I think about my own life, think about high school days. Uh, I think about all the fun times I got to have with my friends and the bonding that happened during that time. And, and now for so many of our students, particularly our seniors who are missing out on a graduation ceremony uh, this spring, uh, for our athletes missing out on like their senior year, uh, their sports season, uh, what a loss that is. And so what I want us to, to dive in today is to look at the way to which the book of Philippians encourages us in how to live out uh, quality friendships in resurrection life. And uh, to start us off, I want you to think of something. I want you to think of friends, okay? And particularly maybe think about a group of friends you had when you were in middle school or high school or college, okay? And I'm going to share a group of friends that I have with you. So check out this photo right here. Now this photo is of the Fab Five. That's the, the, what we called ourselves. We were five friends. Started, some of us started being friends in kindergarten, uh, growing up, and we graduated high school together. Uh, this shot's actually from middle school, eighth grade, our eighth grade dance. And um, when I think about this photo, as goofy as it is, and I'm probably gonna get some backlash from my friends for showing this publicly, uh, but, as goofy as this photo seems uh, to me, I look at that photo with such fondness because of the quality of relationship uh, I had with those um, four other guys. And the way in which I learned so much about God and about God's love for me through those friends. And it's often in the context of friendship that we are best able to understand what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. And then likewise, it's the context of friendship that God calls us into living out the resurrection life. So the big idea I want you to walk away with this morning is that Jesus' death and resurrection ushers in a new way of living, particularly a new way of us relating to one another in our friendships. And there's three things that I want you to walk away with today, three things that we can learn from the book of Philippians and this amazing letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and that how it can encourage us in living uh, friendships in the resurrection life. All right, point number one, friendship and resurrection living moves us towards a bond of unity. I want you to look at this beautiful passage here of scripture. Philippians 1.27, most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come to see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. And then also look at Philippians 2.2 here. Complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. These verses are very clear here that resurrection living is about being united together in our friendships. 
Now again, friendship, we can be friends with people, but not be united with one another. And so to me, what the resurrection life calls us into is a way of loving each other, being friends with each other in a way that we have this deep bond of unity. And that deep bond of unity helps us, helps us weather the storms of life. Proverbs 17, seven states that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. This is the quality of friendship that resurrection living offers us. That even in times of strife, our bond of friendship, the unity will last. And I don't know about you, but I need friends more than ever right now. Through uh, struggle of different navigating challenges and um, new reality of life, uh, I need that bond of friendship with friends. So one of the qualities about having this deep bond of unity and friendship is that we're able to share with somebody who genuinely cares about our well-being. Have you ever had a friend that maybe cares about you but only cares about you to a certain limit? You know, I will do so much for you, but I really won't do that much for you. You know, it's the friend that you call up when it really matters and they're just too busy for you or they're just not willing to really lend you that hand. It's really in times of trials and adversity that we find out who our friends are. And what we see here in this text, so take a look at this text here on the screen. Philippians 2, 19 through 21. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to see you soon so that I may be encouraged by hearing about you. I have no one like him. He is a person who genuinely cares about your well-being. All others put their own business ahead of Jesus Christ's business. What this verse shows us is that the Apostle Paul is highlighting his deep friendship, his bond of unity that he has with Timothy. Why? His Timothy's character of who he is. He's exhibiting this Christ-like character of caring for other people genuinely. He's not there caring for others about what he can get back. He's not care of how that friendship will benefit him, how it will help him move up the social ladder, how it will help him uh, just for his own sake. No, it says that he genuinely cares about the church in Philippi. He, put, he puts Christ's business, right, or the sake of the gospel ahead of his own sake. This type of love, this type of friendship is the type of friendship that Jesus offers us in resurrection living. Point number two, friendship in resurrection living honors humility. When I think of friendship and the bond that we have with others who are our dear friends, humility is a characteristic that stands out. In fact, I would say that humility is the hallmark characteristic of friendship in resurrection living. And when I think of humility, the passage of scripture that comes to my mind here in Philippians is Philippians 2, starting in verse 4. Take a look here. Don't do anything for selfish purpose, but with humility, think of others better than yourself. Instead, each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming the human being. When he, when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. 
Wow, what a powerful scripture that shows us Jesus's character here. That he was so humble that he embodied what true love looked like. That he humbled himself to God's will, to God's purpose for his life. Even to the point of death on a Roman cross, which was the most humiliating form of death that one could possibly have encountered during his time. Now, when I also think about humility and Jesus, I think about the Last Supper. And I want you to imagine what the Last Supper would have been like. Now, you have to stay with me here for a second because most of us will probably go to Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper meal. Historically, that's not accurate. Now, it's a beautiful painting, don't get me wrong. It is incredible and it, in and of itself, is worthy of our gaze and for our theological reflection. But historically speaking, Jesus and his disciples would not have sat at a table going horizontally. They would have sat at a table that was more U-shaped. It's called a triclinium. So what's important to remember here about the triclinium is that this dinner uh, is about status and honor. So what we see here is that uh, just like in our day and age, when maybe f families uh, come together for holiday, a dinner. Uh, it would be very weird if, say, the youngest son sat in the head of the table, right? Because that's the place of honor. That's usually where the head of the household would sit. So too for the triclinium, but maybe just ramped up like 10 degrees more because it was the Roman world and status and honor was everything. That we see this profound picture into uh, the life of Jesus and what Jesus offers us um, with his friendship. And so what we see here is this, this conversation breakout between the disciples about who is greater. So look at this text. This is Luke 22, 24 through 30. An argument broke out among the disciples over which of them should regard as the greatest. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles rule over the subjects and those in authority over them are called friends of the people. But that's not the way it will be with you. Instead, the greatest among you must become like a person of lower status and the leader like a servant. So which one is greater, the one who is seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Isn't it the one seated at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So what's important to remember about this meal is the way in which status and power are embedded in the seating arrangements of the dinner. So Jesus, being the host, would have sat most likely on the left side and everyone would be lying down on their left arm. That way they could reach with their right arm to get food. And we know from other passages that the disciple John laid in Jesus' chest. So that would put John on the right hand of Jesus because Jesus is the teacher. He has the seat of honor, which he would have been in the second seat in on the left. So imagine with me a U-shape, left-hand side, the second seat in, that's Jesus. The first seat on Jesus' right was John. All the way around the very end, so the person across from Jesus is the servant seat. That seat was what most scholars think is where Peter sat. Peter, the person that Jesus said, the head of, you're on you I will build my church, or with you I will build my church. Jesus has Peter sat, sit there. What's also interesting is that given the conversation that Jesus has in other passages with Judas, the one who betray them, betray him, and how close you have to be in this type of a meal to have an intimate conversation, 
it puts Judas at on the left hand side of Jesus, which if you're the host of the meal or the, the teacher or that seat, sitting at the left hand is a seat of honor. That Jesus puts Judas in a seat of honor, even though he knows he's going to betray him. It's almost, a, with, it's almost as if Jesus continues to love Judas, giving himself over in this humility, this love that doesn't seek to uh, dominate him, but seeks to uplift him, even up to the very end. So you can imagine Peter saying, wait a second, I thought I was the person who was Jesus' right-hand man, and I was going to be the one to build Jesus' church. And here I am on the opposite end. So it, it, there's any wonder, you can kind of imagine with the text here that this argument breaks out about, wait, who actually is the greatest here? Because it seems like Jesus is messing with kind of the natural social hierarchy of the disciples. Peter was kind of the given leader, and now he's sitting at the servant's seat. So what's going on here? So this argument breaks out. And what I want you to imagine is the humility that Jesus steps into here and that he shows his disciples what real friendship looks like. So imagine this, imagine with me as we look at this scene, this artist rendition of the Last Supper meal and of a contemporary version of the way Jesus comes to us in humility. Imagine that moment when Jesus crouched by the basin and grabbed the disciples' feet. So many dirty feet to clean, but not overwhelmed by it. Not frustrated for the lack of understanding, even at this most intimate moment together. He sees this as an opportunity to teach them, one last time, how to truly live for God. Life with God is not about what we can accomplish, or how important we can become, or how much influence we can have. It is about unleashing love, it's about uplifting others and finding significance in their lowly status. It's about honoring the very positions in society that seem unworthy. It's about understanding how power is reordered in God's love and brings significance and meaning even to the most undesirable jobs. It's about trust and obedience and servanthood over power, success, and prestige. How would Jesus reveal himself today not loud and obnoxious and wielding cultural dominance over others. He would be humble, like the servant in the last meal, scandalously humble, choosing a place that he was overqualified for, yet in doing so, he honors the labor, the hard work that is so easily taken for granted. Work not appreciated, overlooked, forgotten, dismissed. He would show the upside down nature of his kingdom, where the lowly are honored and the honored are humbled. Would he, could he be someone like this? Like those often forgotten in the field, picking our food that shows up almost magically to our grocery stores each and every day, that keeps us fed as we shelter in place and wait for Corona to leave us. Yet they, in their labor, are risking so much to feed us. Would Jesus choose to be here to serve us in this way. Point number three. Friendship in resurrection living takes risks. Now the type of risks I have in mind here are not just the risks that we might take with a friend to share a, a truth, even though that is good. 
But what I have in mind here, and it's what we're going to see here in our passage of Scripture in Philippians, is that when we encounter Jesus and his love moves us and transforms our life, we're even willing to take risks and to help other people restore their friendship. So look at this passage of Scripture with me. Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Loved ones, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to come to an agreement in the Lord. Yes, I am also asking you, loyal friend, to help these women who have struggled together with me in the ministry of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the scrolls of life. What we see here in this passage is that Apostle Paul is not only urging Judea and Syntyche to come to an agreement, to take out risk and to restore that bond of unity with their friendship, but he's telling the whole church in Philippi to work with these women to restore unity. It's as if he's saying the bond that we share in Christ, the power and the witness of the resurrection is on display in our friendships. And if these two women are, are in a disagreement and if their friendship is ruptured, it's affecting the power of the resurrection or it's affecting our witness to it. And so he's asking the, the whole church to step in. Now, this doesn't give us carte blanche here to run around in relationships and overstep. You have to do this in the right way. But what I hear the Apostle Paul saying is when we are walking with Jesus, we're walking in resurrection living, we are willing in humility to help others restore conflict in their friendships. It is that important. So have you ever experienced friendship or rifts in your own life and somebody's come alongside you and spoken a word of encouragement and truth and then you were able to go and, and repair that friendship with somebody? How meaningful is that? That after that disagreement or that rift, now that relationship is repaired? Boy, that's a situation when everyone wins and that we're all uplifted together in that bond of unity and living together uh, in the spirit of truth and love. Secondly, I want to what I see here about taking risks is that the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to take risks, even financially. Take a look at this scripture here, Philippians four fifteen and sixteen. You, you Philippians know from the time of my first mission work in Macedonia how no church shared in supporting my ministry except you. You sent contributions repeatedly to take care of my needs even while I was in Thessalonica. This church in Philippi believed so much in what the Apostle Paul was doing, believed in the resurrection life that they saw in the Apostle Paul and that they saw coming together in their community that they were willing to continue to support it. You know, as we're facing the financial crisis and as we're watching our uh, our own income drop in a lot of ways. I'm reminded of the great risks that are required of me, required of us in this time. That just because I'm uncomfortable or just because hard things might happen, it doesn't mean that I can shrink away from the risks that God calls me to take financially when I want to live into the resurrection. Because what I keep in focus here is not my own gain, What I have in focus is the power of the gospel being lived out in people's lives. 
And so out of that sense of generosity, out of that sense of freedom, I'm able now to give, give to others, give to others who are in need for the work of Christ to continue. So how will you be, how can you at this time, if you're able to share out of your resources, to continue the work of the gospel? So in, in conclusion, the three things I want you to remember about what it means for our friendships to live in resurrection life is that friendship and resurrection living moves us towards a spirit of unity. Number two, friendship and resurrection living honors humility. And number three, friendship and resurrection living takes risks. I love you, River Church. Hope you're well and continue to walk out resurrection life. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease.
Suddenly 
so much for who you are and who you will always be. God, we magnify, we glorify your name, God. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for being with us in every moment. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Hi, River family. Today is a special day. It's Mother's Day. And we know how hard all of you moms have been working. And so we got the River kids together to put together a tribute for you. Enjoy. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, I'm going to ask you guys a few questions to see how well you know your mom. What's your mom's favorite thing to do? I think she really likes going to the beach. Go to SeaWorld. Her favorite thing to do is run. Hang out with her kids. That's true. Paint her nails. I think it's gardening. Play the baby. That's pretty fun. Snuggles me in the morning. It is one of her favorite things. She snuggles me. She snuggles you? Yeah. How old is your mom? She's... <coughs> really? How old is mom? <laughs> and how old is mom? 50. 41. 41. Good job. Guess low. Whenever in doubt, guess low. Six. Maybe you should go lower. 23? Good guess. My mama is 50 years old and standing strong. <laughs> She's 35. Pretty young for a mom. Seven. If your mom were a Disney princess, which one would she be? I think she would be Belle. Belle. Mommy be Anna. Mommy would be Anna? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Area. Snow White. You think Mommy's Snow White? That's very nice. Cinderella. And why? Because that's the only Disney princess I know. Uh, Cinderella. Hadley says Cinderella. Oh, it's Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. Why would she be Cinderella? Because she's, she's really, she serves and then she goes to really nice parties. And she looks really beautiful. And <laughs> she goes to nice parties and looks beautiful. Elsa, definitely Elsa. Elsa? Ariel, because she likes the ocean. Tangled, because she has long brown hair. Like what, come on. Maybe Belle, because she married a beast. <laughs> <laughs> if your mom were a superhero, which one would she be? Um, Catwoman, or Catgirl, whatever. I feel like she would be Wonder Woman, or Superwoman. And what if she was a superhero, who would she be? Wonder Woman. <laughs> Because she is wonderful. Supergirl. She saves the day on everything. Wonder Woman. Catwoman. What is your mom? Flash, because she could get dinner whipped up really quickly. Captain America. Gamora or Captain Marvel? Wait, wait, wait. Hulk. Superwoman, because barely anything stops her. That's a good one. What's your mom's favorite food? Sushi. Uh, ramen? Donut. Smoothies. Quinoa. <laughs> Sushi. No! Chocolate chip cookie dough. Chick-fil-A food. Chick-fil-A food? That's a good one. Yeah, mommy. Yeah, yeah, mommy. Cookies. Cookies? Chocolate chip ones. Chocolate chip? Of cabbage. Um, cabbage? At coffee, coffee, coffee. What do you love most about your mom? Um, I love that mommy always has time for us and she's nice to anyone she ever meets. She's sweet, loving, and caring. She's, she's loving and she cares for me. Yeah. What do you love about mama? That she likes to spend time with us. 
because I think she really cares for us. Yeah, she really like she loves like the beach and the ocean, and she's like always up for like an adventure, and she's really caring and stuff. And I love her. My dad has a bunch of things around her. I love everything. Uh, that she's generous and kind. She always hugs me. She says that you're like trying to be She's the best mom ever, and I love her. She's very nice. She's very caring, and she will wait. 40 minutes in line to go to Costco. We love you, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I love her. Happy Mother's Day. All right. Happy, Happy Mother's, Mother's, Day. Day. Happy Mother's Day. Day. Happy Mother's Day. I love you. We love, love you, you, Mommy. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Check out our website to find out everything that's going on. And thank you for generous giving during this time. Also, you can subscribe to this channel so you don't miss out on anything. And lastly, happy Mother's Day. We'll see you here next week. Bye.